found in the Church Bibles on page 879. So this is the last, the last chapter in the Bible. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and the servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. Worship God. Then he told me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of the scroll, because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from the scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we come to God's word and ask for his help. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this book of Revelation and all that we've seen of the Lord Jesus in it. Please help us this morning 
to understand what this last chapter has to say to us. Um, please would you help me as I speak, to speak only what's of you, in the name of Christ. Amen. This week, the Moody's um, ratings agency downgraded Hong Kong as, uh, in its credit rating. Uh, I, I guess that has an impact on what sort of funds and business will be coming in to the city, at least in the short term. It shows that externally, the, the economists, the analysts, are saying, well, there's not much hope in Hong Kong right now. Two weeks ago, I attended a, cl- a province-wide clergy conference for Anglican ministers in Hong Kong, and uh, the topic of the main session was church and mission for Hong Kong society. The main speaker, he was a professor of theology at um, the Chinese University of Hong Kong. And in one of the sessions, he shared with us a recent survey. Thousands uh, and thousands of Hong Kong residents were asked about their perception of the city. One of the questions on the survey asked people how they felt about the future outlook of Hong Kong. 23% of those surveyed said they were optimistic. 50% said they were not optimistic about the future of the city. 14% of people said they planned to emigrate within two years, still. The Hong Kong Free Press this week um, said that 2023 has seen a surge in children and youth suicides. To the end of November, 306 children or youth, students, have attempted suicide. 37 have actually ended their own lives. Now, three different pieces of information, but they build a a picture, don't they? They tell us what the, the mood of our city is right now. It tells us that for many of our neighbors, for many of our children maybe, for for many of the people around us, there is a lack of hope and a lack of hope for the future, that is enough to drive people to very extreme actions in the present. Just a lack of hope. Of course, none of us know what the future holds, and we don't need to pretend that we do. We might live to see the fulfillment of every desire of our hearts. Or we might not live to see the new year. We have our plans. And there's bound to be wonderful surprises along the way, sometimes terrible tragedies along the way. We have our plans. The fact is, we don't know the future, but we do know the ultimate future, don't we? We know the ultimate future because we've read about it in the Bible. It's been revealed to us. And if you're a Christian, I pray that as we've been going through the book of Revelation over three months now, that you have an ultimate hope. The ultimate hope for believers we saw last week is uh, not that we go to heaven when we die. That's the intermediate state. The, The ultimate hope is that God is establishing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. There is a a better world coming. We're going to enter into it, not one that we're going to build ourselves, but one that he's going to bring down out of heaven. 
a world where God dwells with his people, where every tear is wiped out of our eyes and every pain is wiped away and every sadness. That future is coming, says the Lord. So we have hope. As we come to the end of the book of Revelation, here in chapter 22, we're given a final glimpse of that hope in the first five verses of the book. And then in verses 6 to 22, it's sort of the, so what? What sort of people should we be if that's our ultimate hope? You know, if hopelessness drives people to extreme action, how much more should hope drive us? to action. So first, the new creation gives us ultimate hope for the future. That's the message of verses 1 to 5 here. It's the last vision uh, giving us even more imagery, even more details about this glorious new creation. And if you're familiar with the Bible, you can't help but see in this section a mirror image, in a way, of the first couple chapters of the book, the Bible that is, Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2, the Garden of Eden, God's original creation design is reflected here. And we've seen as we've worked through the book how Revelation sort of weaves all the narratives, all the themes of the Bible together and builds a picture with them. And so here the the life-giving water that flows out of the the throne of God through the city. It reminds us of the waters that flowed out of Eden and watered the earth. And it reminds us of the statement of Jesus in John's gospel, I am living water, the water of life. Whoever believes in me will not be thirsty. The tree of life in the new creation, it's sort of shown as spanning the whole city, growing on both sides of the rivers, producing 12 fruits every month of the year, a crop every month, 12 fruits. No longer just a one tree in the midst of the garden as it was in Genesis, it fills the whole city of God. And the fact that there will not be any, no longer be any curse, verse 3, points us back to life before the curse in the garden. It all points us back to God's original design for creation. You know the story well. God created everything completely good. He said, it's good, it's good, it's good. And humanity, it's very good. The relationship between Adam and Eve was one of perfect harmony. You'll remember the phrase, They were naked, but they felt no shame. I take it that means they were not just without clothes, but they were perfect in emotional intimacy, honesty. Naked before each other in every way, felt no shame, no need to hide. The relationship between humanity and nature was perfect in harmony. So, There was work in the garden to do, but it wasn't the sort of loathsome, frustrating work that we know. It was purposeful, and it was productive, because the earth just sort of wanted to bring forth. 
the relationship between God and humanity was perfect. God is present with them in the Garden of Eden. He walks with them in the cool of the evening is what we read. Everything was as it should be. And then it went wrong. That's the story, right? Satan comes in. He says, psst, you, uh, you want to have true life, don't you? Don't listen to God. He's holding you back. He's trying to hide true life from you. You, you need to make your own decisions. The world is so much better when it revolves around you. And they went along with it. They bought the lie. But the result, it wasn't life, it was death. The result wasn't blessings, it was curses. And we know this world all too well. Humanity thrown out of the garden, out of the presence of God. The world filled with thorns and thistles that make it as frustrating for your work as it is, as difficult as it is. The relationship of complete honesty and intimacy with other people, broken. Descended very quickly between Adam and Eve into shame and blame and hiding from each other and from God. You know the story. And that's where the story has every right to end. Humanity exiled, but of course it doesn't end there. Right at the beginning, almost as soon as they have committed sin, God makes them this gracious promise. One day, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. It was a promise that one day evil would be destroyed. Blessings would come again. And from the Old Testament, we, we see the people of God preparing for the day, longing for the day. From the New Testament, we see Jesus Christ saying, I'm the snake crusher. I'm the one that comes in to bring blessings. By his death on the cross, he defeats the power of sin and of death and takes the curse on himself. You know, if you are a Christian, God has restored your relationship with him. Christ, his death on the cross, has restored your relationship with God. If you're a Christian, you are now able, in some beginning sort of fragile way, to relate to other people in the way that you were made to, in intimacy, in openness, in honesty. If you're a Christian, God will give you eternal life in his presence. Now that is all true already. Last week, we sort of talked about being in the presence of God, and somebody came up to me after and said, I'm confused because I thought that when we became Christians, we enjoyed relationship with God. We enjoy his presence. And yes, that's right. We do already, but not yet as we will do in the new creation. So we already have those things in Christ, but we don't yet fully enjoy them. He's already present with us, but we don't know him face to face as we will. It's, uh, you might think of it like God has deposited the richness of his blessings, his richest blessings into our account, into trust for us, and we're getting a little stipend right now. 
but we will enjoy the full inheritance when the new creation comes. Verses 1 to 5 show us what that full inheritance will be like. We saw last week, God's immediate presence with his people is the central reality of the new creation. Everything else in John's vision flows from that. So drawing on the imagery of Eden, the temple of uh, Ezekiel, we see that this water flows out from the throne of God. The water, it doesn't only quench the thirst of people, it actually is reviving a dead and dry world. The tree, it's no longer just one tree in the midst, but a tree filling the whole of creation, producing everything that we need. Leaves of the tree heal the nations, not just one particular people, the nations. The curse is gone for good. Right relationship between God and humanity, fully, finally restored. Redeemed humanity no longer looks at God with suspicion, like he's holding out on us, like he's leading us to a a life of, well, less life. But we trust him. We see him for what he is, a gracious and good God. The light of God's presence completely fills the new creation. It's not that there aren't other lights, but that we don't need them. Because God's presence means that he's never hidden from us. We never are able to hide from him or each other. We see things as they really are. Now that is the future of this world. And if that is the future of this world, the whole creation, Christians should be people full of hope. Very different from the people around in our city who are feeling hopeless to a a weary world that feels very often hopeless as it, it groans under the curse. We announce this is the ultimate future. This is where it's headed. So what kind of people ought we to be? God will resurrect the world that we live in. Perfect harmony will be restored. We will have life with him forever. You see how that makes every trouble so light and momentary in comparison to where we're headed. It's the future for everyone who trusts in Christ. But of course, Satan doesn't want you to believe it. He whispers the very same thing to you and to me that he whispered to Eve. If you want the good life, don't get too deep into this Christianity thing. This is just going to this is not going to lead to the kind of life you want. If you buy into this, you're going to miss out on the real stuff of life. And some of us might be tempted to believe the lie. You think, if I were to uh, obey Jesus in that area of life, well, it'd just be too costly, it'd be too difficult to bear. I don't want to think of it, so I won't do that. So you hold back. And maybe you're not really living for him. Maybe it's why you've backslidden and and you 
have stopped living the Christian life at some point because you believed the lie of the devil. But if that's the case, please see the truth. Please see the, the reality that true life is found only with Jesus Christ at the center. The curse comes from putting anything else at the center. True life is the result of God's presence restored with his people at the, at the center of all things. And there is no life outside of that, but only death and curse. And you know, that means that you will never, you will never regret turning your back on sin. You will never regret because sin and rebellion will never deliver the promise that they make to you. Those of us who've been Christians for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, longer, some of us longer, can you even think of a time when you said yes to sin and you say now, oh yeah, I'm so glad I did that because you know, it really delivered what I wanted. That really gave me all that I hoped it would when I gave in to sin. Surely not. That's not how it works. Sin makes promises that it can't keep. But when you make costly, sometimes difficult decisions for following Christ, for obeying him, there's always more life. There's always more blessings on the other end of it. I had a friend in theological college. He um, struggled to stop using pornography. And of course, with computers, with smartphones, it's never very far from us, is it? And he always was upset at himself about it. He always felt trapped by technology, like he couldn't get away from it. He felt, I need my smartphone because how will I be able to respond to the emails that I get when I'm out and about? I need the, the laptop. I need these other things, and yet the temptation is too great. And I said, brother, what is it going to take? Do you need to cancel your home broadband? Do you need to trade in a smartphone for like, a Nokia brick phone? It's that kind of radical change that if that's what it's going to take to get rid of this sin, do it. It might make life difficult in the short term. It might be annoying to you and to others that you can't send the emails that you think you need to. But in the long term, you'll never regret doing that. If it helps you serve the Lord, please him. And he sort of perked up. He realized, oh yeah, th there really is only one thing that I need to be concerned about doing. There's only one requirement, which is pleasing the Lord. Any other effort that stands in the way of that is, well, that's just something I can get rid of. I'm free. Every other necessity takes its place behind this one. Any effort you make to put Christ at the center will always be worth it. When you are on your deathbed, Christian brothers and Christian sisters, 
you will never say life would have been so much better if I had just indulged a little bit more in sin. You will never say I would have been more fulfilled following sin because sin never delivers. But with Christ at the center, living water flows out into the whole of life. Look at at verse 5 again. When we are fully and finally redeemed, what are we invited to do with Christ? They will reign with him forever and ever. When sin is fully wiped out of our life by God, not by our own efforts, but by God, we are invited to rule and to reign over all of eternity with him. Life in the new creation is not an endless holiday. There's work to do. It's ruling and reigning with Christ forever and ever. That's like happily ever after in Bible language. But it's not quite the end of the book. That gives us verses 6 to 22, which tells us what sort of people we ought to be if that's the end we're headed for. Revelation brings us right back to the here and now and says to us, therefore, do this. Notice in these verses, Jesus speaks four times. Verse 7, verse 12, verse 16. Jesus speaks. Three of those times, he says the same thing. Behold, I'm coming soon. The the posture that we should have today is one of readiness. Jesus is coming soon. There is only one more thing on God's cosmic to-do list. Come again. Everything else is ticked off. So we should live in the present as though the new creation is about to be revealed And in order to prepare us to live like that, John gives us these basic instructions. First, obey God's word. As you read through these final verses of the book, you see how often there's a reference to the word of God. Jesus says, keep the words of the prophecy of this book. The angel says, everyone who keeps the word of this book will be a servant with him of God. John's told, don't seal up this book, but let it get out. Let the people hear it. And John warns, do not add or subtract from this book. What's true of Revelation is true of the Bible as a whole. It's the word of the Lord. Take it seriously. Don't seal it up. Open it up. Study it. Everything you need for life. And salvation is contained here. 
It's the, the message of our collect for this week, the second Sunday of Advent. Read, mark, learn, inwardly digest it. That's what we need to do to be ready for the day of his coming. John says, don't subtract anything from it. Don't cut out the parts you don't like and ignore those bits. Don't add anything to it. Don't say, well, yes, Jesus is good, but also the Book of Mormon, the the Quran, the, the research of the day, whatever it is, also those things, no. The whole Bible reveals the whole Christ, and he's wholly sufficient to bring us to the new creation. Obey God's word. That's John's first instruction. Secondly, worship God. And that is ultimately what the word of God is meant to lead us to, the worship of God. It's not so much about the little rules to be followed in this area of life and in that area of life, although there are some of those things, but what is the, the thing it's trying to lead us to? It's the worship of God in all of life. John, in the book of Revelation, has shown us over and over and over again there's only one God who's worthy of worship. And so when the, the worldly society of Babylon, when the anti-God authority of the beast, when the anti-God ideology of the false prophet, when they come in and they say, no, worship this, worship the state, worship this way of thinking, worship this created being, we say, no, there's only one worthy of worship. Whenever there's a clash, don't compromise. That's the message of Revelation. Be faithful. Persevere. When there's something good in life, don't put it in God's place. I think that's the message of what we're supposed to get when, when John falls down in worship of this angel. That's the second time in the book that he does it because the angel's so glorious. He's revealing such wonderful things to him. And John wants to worship him. And the, and the angel says, no, not me. Worship God. He's the only one worthy. Obey God's word, worship God. Those are things that are going to keep you going until Christ's return. But lastly, trust God's salvation. Notice who's going to be there in the new creation. Which people? It isn't the ones that have studied the Bible the most. It isn't the ones who were so clever they figured God out. It isn't even the ones who've done the most for charity or been at church most often or anything else. Verse 14 says, Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they might have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. The only ones who are going to enter the new creation are those who've been properly cleaned up. Sin makes us dirty. It soils our body, our minds, our spirits. And we will not be allowed into God's presence looking like that. You know, there are fancy clubs in Hong Kong. You can't get in without a tie and a, a jacket. And yet, so many people think, I'm just going to walk into the new creation as I am. God will take me as I am. I mean, look at me. Who wouldn't love me? But no. 
That's not what the scriptures say. God will not take us as we are. We need to be washed. Washed of the muck of sin. So how do we wash our robes? Well, John sends us searching through his book here. Back to chapter 7, verse 14. The only other mention of washing robes is made there. There, John, he peers into heaven. He sees the great multitude of white robes standing before the throne of God, worshiping God in song. And the angel tour guide tells him, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. In the blood of the lamb. We can't clean ourselves up. So if you've begun to feel guilty about sin in your life, if you realize I'm not fit to be in the, the presence of God, don't clean yourself up. You cannot clean yourself up. But you can accept the cleansing that comes from the blood of Jesus Christ. He died to make you clean. He, he died to bring you into his presence. He died so that you could reign with him. Come to Jesus. The spirit and the bride say, come, says verse 17. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who's thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. That is God's urgent message to us, to our world. Be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Come into my presence. Reign with me. That's the invitation. As we receive the Lord's Supper together in a few minutes, that is just another opportunity in word and in deed to say, I am fully dependent on what Christ has done for me. The bread and the wine, they're his invitation. And by receiving them, we're saying, I accept, I want to come along. So come and receive the free gifts. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have set this wonderful hope, this ultimate hope before us. Please help us to be a people of hope that, that live in a world, in our world, in a very different way. That are not turned aside by sin, but have our eyes fixed on you. That are not dragged down by a sense of hopelessness or defeat, but are trusting in your ultimate victory and deliverance and salvation. Lord, please would these truths that we've seen in the book of Revelation over these many months, would they stick with us? Would you make them a core part of our Christian walk and, and help us to live for you because of all the wonderful promises you've made? Help us to persevere. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.